Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Seriously, one of my favorite parts of flying is when the stewardess gets on the little microphone and says it's time for you to turn everything off. If you have an iPad or a laptop, close it down and put it away. If you have an electronic device handheld, either turn the power off or flip it into airplane mode. That's one of the only times I feel like in my life that I can actually disconnect. Uh, And I'll look around the plane, and there'll be some people in there that think they're a lot more important than they are, and it is an inconvenience for them to turn their phone off. They're upset that they're not going to be able to post a selfie of them on the plane midair. They're afraid an email is going to come that they can't respond to. and like It's just a total inconvenience to them, and you can tell that they're frustrated that we can put a man on the moon, but we can't land a plane and you make a phone call at the same time. I don't know where the technology has gone wrong, but they're upset about that. But I actually love it. It's, it's uh, a time, no phone calls. Uh, my phone rings day and night. Uh, no dings that a text message has come through. Uh, no emails being pushed forward that, like when you look at it, it's got a really urgent subject line. And then when you open it, you realize there's nothing urgent about this email at all. Like they've tricked you. And so uh, no, no, no vibrations in your pocket that somebody tagged you on social media or or tagged you in a post or a picture on Instagram. None of that. I love the ability just to, just to disconnect. Disconnecting is so freeing. Right? It, it's stress-relieving to me. It's energizing. It's relaxing. Like The best part about a vacation for me is the ability to disconnect. I don't care if you go to the beach or the mountains or if it rains the whole time or what you have planned. Like I just want to disconnect. The, 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 the ability to me, for me just to disconnect is, is huge. I love that uh, and enjoy that. Uh, tonight, we're going to kick off uh, the 21 days of prayer with a night of worship. I hope you'll crash the party tonight. And so for the next few weeks on Sunday mornings, we're going to be talking about prayer. And I can't think of a phrase that I think would help you and will help me in 2019 as we prepare ourselves for this to be a year of prayer than this idea of airplane mode. Because the reality is for you and I to be able to connect with someone of significance, we're going to have to learn how to disconnect from the things that are demanding our time and attention. It's really difficult to hear from God when you've got a thousand other voices speaking into your ear all day long. And so this idea of being able to disconnect from those things so that you can actually connect with God, I think has great significance and is going to be really important uh, for us as we move forward in 2019. Uh, so I want to tell you a story about a girl in Scripture that put her life on airplane mode, learned how to do that, and God did something amazing, uh, something miraculous in her life. If you have your Bible, let's do 1 Samuel, all the way back in the Old Testament. If you don't have your Bible, the words will be on the screen. 1 Samuel and the uh, airplane mode story of a girl by the name of, of Hannah. Here's how the story starts out. Give it a little intro and uh, some background. There was a, a certain man f- from Ramathame, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. I don't know why you would want to do that to yourself. But he had two wives. 
One was called Hannah, and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were priests. They were the pastors of that church. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Check that out, the last phrase. The Lord had closed her womb. Hannah wasn't able to have kids, and it was not by chance. It was not, there was something wrong medically. It was not sin or disobedience in her own life. It was not punishment, but somehow a part of God's plan and purpose for this woman's life was for temporarily for her not to be able to have kids. And so sometimes, like, I want to point this out because a lot of people can get into this mindset that if, if something's wrong in your life, if you've got a hardship or you're facing a problem, then that automatically means you're doing something wrong. Like you're not walking in God's obedience, you're not doing what he's called you to do, and that's the reason why you have a problem. That's the reason why you face hardships, and that's, that's a misconception. Just because you're in a hardship or you're facing a difficulty does not mean that God is not in the middle of it. Because scripture says Hannah was faced with this hardship, really wanted to have kids, but the Lord had closed her womb. And even in the midst of hardship, God's plan and purpose was still unfolding, even though Hannah obviously had no idea that God could be a part of something like that. And so the story goes that uh, not only did she not understand why, but it was a, a part of God's purpose and plan. Hannah was facing a temporary difficulty in life. But it still coincided with the plan and the purpose of God. Hannah was childless. Now that may not mean much to us today because in our culture, uh, there are a lot of women that don't have kids. Uh, some women choose not to have kids. Uh, some women want to do a career first and then maybe think about kids down the road. Uh, some women don't want to have uh, biological kids. They want to adopt or they want to foster and so for us to, to see a family that doesn't have any kids or a woman that doesn't have a kid, that, that's no big deal for us. Uh, it's just kind of commonplace. Almost 50% of women in the world today don't have kids in, in our country, don't, don't have kids, so it's no big deal. But in this culture, it was a huge deal. In fact, in this culture, the main reason a man got married was to procreate. Like the, 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 the big reason why a man wanted to get married is because he had a dream, he had hopes that this wife would give him specifically a son so that the family lineage could go on. People with big families were the, the ideal family in, in this time period because a big family meant more money that was brought in. If you had a bunch of sons that worked, it'd be a richer family. It meant security. It meant stability. It was a, a status symbol to have a big family. And so you can imagine Hannah here, a woman who was married to a man named Elkanah that couldn't have any kids. You can imagine like people are looking at Elkanah saying, what's wrong? Why are you with her? You know, I mean, obviously she can't give you any kids, so why, why even keep her around? Why, why stay in the marriage? Like she, she can't even fulfill the most basic thing, the reason why a man would want to get married. She can't accomplish it, so why are you with her? And so you can imagine the shame that that would have been on Hannah to, to face that reality, to be known as the woman that doesn't have kids, that for some reason can't 
have kids, Hannah would have been devastated. And Scripture says that once a year, their family would all gather together. Penina, the other wife, and Hannah, and Elkanah, and all her kids, they would go to church once a year. And here's how the sacrificial system worked. If you wanted forgiveness for your sins, your whole family had to go to church once a year and sacrifice a big bull or some kind of animal so that your sins were forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. We don't have to do that anymore. And, and so, but this family would do it, and, and they always did it at a Baptist church, because you can tell, because they ate right after. Every time they went to church, they ate right after. And so they're hanging out at this Baptist church, and uh, here's the story. It says, when, when, when Elkanah would get there, he would give his one wife, Penina, and all of her kids, he would give her some of the meat, a portion of the meat. But it says in Scripture, it says, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Uh, some of your verses may read, he gave her the choice meat. Everybody else is eating hamburgers, but Hannah gets a steak. Or, or, or maybe everybody else gets one steak, but Hannah got a double portion. Because her husband knew that she was heartbroken. I'm going to be honest with you. If I'm having a bad day, a good steak at the end of it can turn it around. <laughs> I mean, a well-seasoned medium-rare ribeye can make a bad day the best day. And the only way that can get better is if I have two well-seasoned, <laughs> medium-rare ribeyes. And so I'm feeling it right here, like Elkanah speaking my love language. I'm like, two steaks? Let's go. It's a good day right here. That didn't work for Hannah. She wasn't interested in that. Even despite the double portion that she received every year, she was still heartbroken over it, still crushed her spirit and her soul. Verse 6 because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, again, a reminder that even in the face of difficulty, God is still in control, God still has a plan, God still has a purpose in what's going on. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, Penina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept. And would not eat. This is like soap opera stuff right here. This is like the pilot episode of Desperate Housewives of the Old Testament. We got Penina on this side and Hannah on this side. And she's provoking her. She's prodding her. She's making fun of her. And it's wearing Hannah down. Can you imagine what this conversation would have been like? Once a year, they take a road trip. They all get in the big 15-passenger van and they go to church together. And Penina says, hey, Hannah, any kids yet? Oh, no? Okay. Well, we got like 10. And I don't know if you've seen my kids, but they're, man, honor roll. Did you see on the back of the van, we got a My Kids an Honor Roll student sticker on the back? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of them are two-sport athletes. Our youngest daughter's in preschool, just elected student body president of the preschool. It's amazing. All of our kids have full rides to the university of their choosing. I don't, I don't know if it's just me, Hannah, but it feels like the perfect life. feels like everything's great. You know, the other day, this, this is a brand new van we're riding in. The other day, we got so many kids, we had to go buy one of those 15-passenger vans. It's crazy, man. Get all this crew in here. Got, got a football team almost. And then I went to the mall, and because uh, I really wanted one. You, you ever seen those family stickers, the stick people stickers on the back of the van? Like, I really wanted to have one of those. So I got one tall one for Elkanah, and then I got a little cute one with hair and a little purse, and that's me. And then I got ten stick kids. One stick dog on the end. It's perfect. <laughs> I know you don't have any, but I'm just telling you, this is, this is the absolute perfect life. And Scripture says year after year after year, Penina would do that to Hannah. 
she would rub it in and crush her spirit and pile it on top of her. And it compounded, and Scripture says it got so bad that it would bring her to tears. Just, just absolutely crushing her spirit. Her husband looks up and sees her crying. Verse 8, her husband, Elk, and I would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? I'm so glad this is in Scripture because, like, fellas, perk your ears up. This is going to be some great marriage advice, okay? This is what not to do when you see your wife crying. The first thing to do if you see your wife crying, do not ask her what's wrong. Because if your wife's crying, you should already know what's wrong. And if you don't know what's wrong, you're already behind. So I suggest you fake it until you make it. Because no matter how compassionate you are, you're going to look at your wife and say, what's wrong, baby? And she's going to say, what's wrong? What's wrong? You don't know what's wrong? I'm just saying, just beware. Elkan, I make some mistakes, says, what's wrong? And Hannah could have said, what's wrong? Do you, do you see what Penina's doing? I like to pronounce it like elongate the end. Penina, do you know what? <laughs> your, your other homegirl over there, you see what she's doing? Do you hear what she's saying? But Scripture says Hannah didn't, didn't say anything. And then he makes the second worst mistake of his married life. In that last sentence, it says, Don't I mean more to you than, than ten sons? Ha! That's the equivalent of you walking up to your crying wife and say, Chin up, baby. Because I want you to remember in the darkest times that you ever face, that you still get to be married to me. I know, I know you're struggling, but do you know how many girls would love to be in your shoes right now? Do you know how many women all around the world would love to be married to a stud like me? Isn't that better than 10 kids? Bad news, man. This guy has no clue. Let's learn from that, fellas. Let's learn from that. Scripture says that Hannah was completely quiet. I don't know if she was just fuming mad or she wanted to go punch a wall or or help him make him to where he couldn't have any more kids anymore and brag about it, uh, or what. But in verse 9, we see what Hannah actually does. It says, once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. Pastor sitting there by the door. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, If you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of pain, in the midst of a husband that's saying all the wrong things, and a rival that is provoking, I want you to understand and look at where she went. She got up and she went to the temple. This is where the presence of God was. Instead of talking to her mom, instead of going to her husband, instead of airing her grievances, instead of pushing it all down and being emotional about it, she went to God. There's a few things, five quick things I want you to jot down if you're taking notes that I hope you learn and can help us in 2019 in our prayers. And the first one is this. Uh, Number one, pray first. Pray first. It's the first place that Hannah went. She didn't go anywhere or to anyone else. She prayed first. This is really what I want you to walk away 
with today because sometimes some of you may have already made some New Year's resolutions. It's like January 6th, so a lot of you have probably already failed in most of the New Year's resolutions that you made. You already hung them up. Good try, though. Next year is your year. Uh, but prayer may be one that you say. You're like, I'm going to pray. And we often make two resolutions about prayer. And I hear these often. I've made them before. The first one is this. I want to pray more. That's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to pray more. And I get where people's hearts are with that. But really, like, what does that mean, pray more? I mean, does that mean that if you prayed once a month last year, you're just going to pray 13 times this year? Is that what pray more means? Did you even count how many times you prayed last year? How do you know if you pray more? Is it just the amount of times that you pray? It just seems vague. I don't really know what that means. I don't know really what the purpose behind pray more is. And I think that's one of the reasons why people say a New Year's resolution, like pray more, and then we lose it. We don't do it. We give up on that resolution. Here's the second one. Um, people will say, I want to pray better, or I want to have a better prayer life. What does that mean? What are better prayers? Are they longer? Is it when you're on your knees? Do you have to have your eyes closed? Do you hold hands with people? Fold your hands? Can you do it while you're driving? Do you have to do it in your room? What, what is a better prayer? Is it churchy language? Like big religious biblical words. Is that what makes a good prayer? Is that how you move from good to better to best? What, is that, what does that even mean? Is it just how long you pray? I think those are the reasons why many of us will make resolutions on prayer or want to get better at prayer or pray more, and we end up not even knowing what that means. But pray first is different. Pray first is specific. Pray first is something that we can implement. It's something that we can commit to do. Let me phrase it like this. Pray first means prayer is your first priority and not your last resort. This year, make prayer your first priority and not the thing that you do when you've tried everything else first. Pray first. I'm willing to admit that uh, I'm, I'm not really the best at pray first. I don't know if this is because I'm a guy or I'm an overconfident guy. I don't know if those two words mean the same thing. But here's what I like to do. Instead of pray first, my gut go-to response is fix it first. If I got a problem, I'm going to fix it. If I got my back up against the wall, what do I need to do to fix it? If there's a difficulty that I'm facing in life, I already know the solution and the answer. Fix it, right? Here's what happens. I'm willing to admit this. I'm hard-headed enough. I don't know why I haven't learned. But usually when I take a problem that I have, and I choose to fix it first, you know where that leads me? To that one problem turning into about three problems. At the very least, the one problem after time and energy and resources invested now means that one small problem has now turned into one really big problem. Because I tried to fix it myself instead of going to the only one that would listen and could fix it the first time. What if we learned how to pray first instead of fix it? Maybe you're not a fix-it person. Uh, maybe your go-to, your gut response is not to fix it, but our go-to in a time of trouble and hardship is to complain about it. Now, I'm not talking about you guys. I know you guys don't complain. That's not your deal. I'm talking about sinners that are not here right now, that skip today or, or somewhere else. I know you guys would never complain, but I know some people's go-to response during a time of trouble and pain is to complain about it if things don't go our way. We want to complain. If things don't work the way we want them to, we want to complain. If we're facing a difficulty in life or, or few things are working out like we want it to, that's, our, that's a go-to for some people. We want to complain about it. 
when everyone else is getting everything that they want, but we're not getting what we want, we don't pray first, we don't fix it first, we complain. What if we flipped it? What if we did what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 9 and says, when we're facing hardships and difficulties, pray continuously. Pray without ceasing. Now, some of us would look at that and be like, pray without ceasing. How do you do that? Is that even possible? Without, is that all the time? Just like everything you say is a prayer? How do you, how do you pray without ceasing? And so we read a verse like that and we think that's, that's impossible for most people. But it's funny how a lot of people have mastered complain without ceasing. Did you know that if you spend as much time praying as you do complaining, your life would probably be different? No amens. All right, good. <laughs> instead of complaining to her husband, instead of bad-mouthing Penina, instead of internalizing it and just pushing the emotions all down, instead of pretending like it didn't exist, instead of being bitter towards God, instead of going online and trying to figure out physically what's wrong with me and what specialist do I need to go to, Hannah prayed first. First thing she did was pray. First thing she did was go to God. Verse 12, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, this pastor, observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, girl, you need to go home. How long are you going to stay drunk? How many of them wine coolers did you drink? Not so, my Lord. Hannah replied, I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Hannah has all kinds of voices talking to her. All kinds of things she's hearing. Penina is talking trash. Her husband is offering terrible advice. Now the priest thinks she's been drinking too much and tells her to leave the church, that she doesn't even belong here after all you've done. There's not a more prevalent story in Scripture where we see a woman that needs to figure out how to put her life in airplane mode. And let me share something with you about who you listen to and the voices that are pouring into your life and your ability to switch to airplane mode. The truth is this, who you listen to will determine the future that you experience. Who you choose to listen to this morning will determine the future that you experience. If Hannah would have listened to Penina, she'd have said, you know what, you're right. I'm a failure. I can't even do the one thing that this guy married me for. I guess I'll just be a loser the rest of my life. If she'd have listened to her husband, she'd have said, you're right. I guess I should just accept the way things are and understand that for the rest of my life I'm going to settle for less. If she'd listened to the priest, he should have said, you're right, this is dumb. I look crazy in here. It's probably not even going to work in the first place. I don't even know if God can hear me. There's not even any words coming out of my mouth. But for Hannah, she didn't listen to the voices. She put her life in airplane mode to disconnect from all of those things so that she could connect with the only one that could do something about it. The only one that could answer the problems. The only one who knew what the plan and the purpose was. The second thing that I want you to see from Hannah's prayer that we can learn is that Hannah prayed from the heart. Scripture says, from her heart, 
she poured it out to God. She didn't even have verbal words to articulate what she was going through and what was going on in her mind. Have you ever been there? You ever been so heartbroken in such despair that all you could do was cry? You ever sat with somebody like that? Who's encountered something in their life that has totally wrecked them? And you're asking yourself, what am I supposed to say? Like words can't express and can't comfort what this person is going through. They don't even know how to say it. They don't even know how to articulate the grief and the pain that they're going through. And that's exactly what Hannah was doing. She didn't have the words to express. See, did you know some people believe that the power in prayer comes from how churchy or religious your language is? When in actuality, Scripture says God wants to hear prayers from the heart. Even if the words can't even come out, he wants to hear your heart. Hannah prayed from her heart. The third thing we see is that Hannah did not pray to impress people. She was not praying so that the people in the room could hear what she had to say. In fact, Scripture says that her speech was so intense, her actions were so intense, that every onlooker in the room thought that she was intoxicated. You know, I, I don't know if that just means she was an ugly crier or if she, her mouth is moving and there's no words that are coming out and so people are looking at her like, is this girl okay? I don't know if she was swaying back and forth for somebody to think, oh, this girl's getting ready to tip over. Did she have too much to drink? I don't know if she was on the floor, rolling around in the fetal position, crying out to God. I don't, but it was so intense that people thought that she had too much to drink. Like, you're, you're slurring your words so much, you're, you're all over the place with your body language. Were you at the club last night? If you're trying to impress people with your prayers, it probably wouldn't give you that kind of response. You would probably want to use words that were eloquent. And you would want to practice and rehearse the prayer. And make sure that it was smooth and flowing. And you would want to practice your pitch and your pace and your tone. And make sure that at just the right moment, you had a good pregnant pause. Not Hannah. She couldn't even get the words out of her mouth. She wasn't there to impress people with her words and her prayer. She was there to communicate with God. In her attempt to disconnect from everyone else and connect with God, it gives us some insight into prayer. Chances are, I want to challenge you on this, a lot of people are scared to pray. Scared to pray in public, maybe in the setting of your small group. Maybe it'd be like worst case scenario, like your, your worst moment of your life is if I just looked into the audience and said, hey, would you come up here and say a prayer on stage right now? Like you would die. We'd have to bring you back to life. But the chances are, if you're scared to pray in front of people, then somehow you've confused prayer with talking to the people in the room and impressing them instead of connecting with God. And through her actions and through her speech, Hannah was focused on connecting with God. Don't pray to impress people. Hannah taught us that in her prayers. Verse 17, Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said to the priest, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. I love that. Her whole mindset changed. Like, just like that, God spoke to Hannah through the priest. And those words of encouragement, like, flipped her right there. It says she walked out of the room, and she didn't have a frown on her face anymore. She wasn't doing the ugly tears anymore. She had a smile. 
She walks out of the room and she's like, where's Elkanah? I'll take one of those ribeyes. It's time to eat. All of a sudden, life became better. And I want you to understand something because this tells us a lot about prayer. The fourth thing you need to know about prayer is, did you know that prayer's purpose is not just to get you what you want? Because if prayer's purpose was just to get you what you want, then Hannah wouldn't have been happy right here. Because it's not like she prayed and she's on the floor crying and the priest looks at her and says, God has heard your prayer and she stands up and eight months pregnant. That's not how it worked. She didn't get her prayer answered automatically, but yet in peace she walks out. That tells us something. That maybe the peace that you desire isn't found in God giving you what you want. It's just in you understanding that you're connecting with God. Maybe the peace you desire isn't in God answering your prayers. Maybe it's just found in God. And Hannah had heard from God. It's not that God gave her what she wanted yet. The answer was not yes. There was just an answer from God. And that was good enough for her. Because I'm not here to impress people. I'm not here just to get what I want. There's got to be something more to prayer than this. God gave Hannah peace first. Listen, listen. God gave Hannah peace first, even before he said yes to her prayer. Even before he delivered, because God's peace does not come in God's provision. It comes in God himself. When he had heard from God, when she had heard from God, I don't want you to be praying prayers today and think that you'll never find your peace until God says yes. That you'll never find your peace until the provisions are here. That's not where peace is found. It's found in connecting with God, disconnecting from those other things and connecting with God. Some of you are frustrated because God hasn't answered a prayer yet. Some of you are convinced that if you just pray that God is supposed to hear me and listen to my prayer and you're frustrated because God hasn't given you what you want. And I would argue that you do not have a God that you pray for and pray to. You have a bottle that you rub in hopes that a genie pops out. It's not the same. Hannah didn't go into the church and rub the bottle and the genie pops out and all of a sudden she's got a newborn baby in her lap. She talked to God and God reassured her. And that was all she needed. 19 and 20. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord. I love that. God still hasn't answered the prayer yet. You know what Hannah did? Got up and went to church again. She got up and sang. She got up and thanked God. She got up and worshipped. Well, wait a minute now. Isn't, don't you do that when God gives you something? Don't you do that out of thankfulness to God? Nah, God says, Hannah says, you, we worship even before God says yes. We pray, we give it to God, and then we worship him for who he is, not for what he's done for us. She got up in the morning, still not pregnant, still doesn't have a son. They arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant. In the course of time, in the course of time, in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Fifth and final thing I want you to hear about prayer is this. Hannah prayed first, but then she did her part. Hannah prayed first, and even before the prayer was answered, she continued to walk in faithfulness and obedience to God. She didn't go home 
And Elka and I say, hey, you want to try for another kid? And she's like, oh, no, no, God's going to do it. I prayed. God's going to do it. And I'm going to sit right here until something happens. I'm going to sit here. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to go anything else. I'm not going to take another step. I'm going to wait right here until God does. I'm telling you, God did that one time with a girl named Mary and a guy like Jesus. He's not going to do it with you. Hannah knew. God promised it, but I'm going to continue to work. I'm going to continue to move forward. I'm going to continue to walk in obedience. I'm going to continue to be faithful. Prayer isn't just something we check off our list and then wait on God to give it to us. A man or a woman of prayer is not someone that just prays. A man or a woman of prayer is someone that prays and then walks forward in obedience, that listens to God and does what he says. That's a man or a woman associated with action as a result of their prayers. Hannah went home and was faithful, went home and was obedient, went home and continued to trust in God. Here's the big kicker. In the course of time. Some of your versions may read, in due time or sometime later. I want you to underline it, star it, highlight it, draw a smiley face by it, say, remember this, draw a little clock by it. Whatever you got to do in your Bible. Because I need to remind you that as you pray, that God's purpose and God's plan for your life always comes with God's timing. God's purpose and plan will never come outside of God's timing. And so we pray and we trust and we remain faithful and we continue to take steps forward knowing that God's plan and purpose for our life and our prayers going to him will always happen in God's timing. That's how he does it. That's how he does it. You'll never get even God's plan without it happening on his timeline, on his schedule, which is perfect. His plan and purpose in his time. In the course of time. It doesn't even tell us how long. It didn't say the next week. Could have been months. And Hannah, the only thing she had to hold on to was God's promise. No results yet. Only thing I got, God's promise. No baby. Keep taking the tests. Comes back negative. The only thing you have is to hold on to God's promise. Maybe you're in a season of life like that right now where you've been shedding tears and praying prayers. And the only thing you have, you got no results to show from it. And the only thing you have is God's promise. The only thing you had is what God has told you through his word. So I want to encourage you this morning, take hold of that. Take hold of the promise of God because the promise leads to the plan and his timing. So glad that story was included that they named this little boy Samuel and that his name meant because God heard my prayers and he answered. You and I have so many Samuels in our life. Things that if we just took the time, we could look back and say, God heard my prayer and he answered. God heard my cries and he delivered. God was faithful just at the right time. God knew exactly what I needed and he knew exactly how to move. And after I prayed in the right time, in the course of time, at the right time, God showed up. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God we worship. That's the kind of God we pray to. That's good news.